Hello, hello. Welcome to the news. It means it's the end of the week and the beginning of a conversation about what's going on in the world of culture right now. That would be Star Wars. That would be, in fact, Obi-Wan Kenobi, a six-part Disney limited, Disney Plus, I should say, limited series. We'll tell you all about it. And when I say we, well, first of all, let me also say a little bit later in the show, we're going to talk about the effort by the Star Wars creators to diversify their casts, to include more characters of color, and the way in which that gets this sort of weird and highly unpleasant pushback from certain elements of the Star Wars fan base. And often apparently gets pretty ugly, and it may be getting ugly this time for at least one of the actors appearing on Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then a little bit later than that, we'll, there's sort of a Papulian through line in the sense we're going to talk about the problems that Sweden has. Sweden is kind of going sideways uh, on the internet, uh, on the social medias, uh, and uh, getting some very, very bad social media press, if that's the right word. Uh, but uh, some of their um, habits or customs involving feeding people who are in their house um, somehow or other kind of just turned into a just general let's dump on Sweden week and it was a very dominating thing. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows why the Internet does anything at this point? Uh, it's a very, very bad place to try to figure anything out, social media in particular. A very bad place to try to find, figure out anything out. But it's also an irresistible place to try to figure things out. People cannot help themselves. All right, so let's uh, talk about who's here today. Uh, Jacques Lamar is a playwright uh, and director of client services at Buzz Engine. We should mention, actually, that uh, his, speaking of him being a playwright, Secondo uh, is coming up a little bit later this summer. I'm sure we'll be talking about that uh, in the days to come. Pedro Soto is president and CEO uh, of High Grade Precision Technologies. But I think more relevantly, you know, our ultimate Star Wars savant. I mean, we are going to be, you'll hear us from time to time when we don't understand something. We will ask Pedro and he just automatically will know the answer. Uh, Tracy Wu Fastenberg is development officer at uh, Connecticut Children's uh, and we are happy to have all three of them. Uh, let's get going with Obi-Wan Kenobi. So let me just, I, I should have Pedro set this up, but I'll just try to do it. Basically, we are coming upon Obi-Wan Kenobi on the desert planet of Tatooine, some t- 10 years after the final events of the <laughs> of episode three in the nine movie Star Wars trunk line. So uh, and to sort of help you with that. Uh, so kind of the last thing that's probably happened is you've seen uh, Hayden Christensen as uh, as Anakin Skywalker getting knocked into some kind of horrible, flaming, rocky, nasty thing that's going to turn him into uh, Darth Vader. So 10 years later, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, he's living uh, on Tatooine. He's cut off from the force. Um, he's poor, I, th- I think. He's working on something that looks like sort of an Amazon warehouse that you have to where you have to cut up some kind of strange meat and occasionally <laughs> slip some into your into your robes to take home to your strange uh, beast that you ride. Uh, and uh, so he's biding time. But then it turns out He's biding time because, you know, eventually he's going to be this weird old guy living in the desert who has to sort of come and kind of activate Luke Skywalker. But um, right now he's biding time for another reason. And then he gets called in. Boy, this is so complicated. But by, by <laughs> Senator Organa, played by Jimmy Smits, uh, because there's something else going on involving Senator Organa's adopted daughter, who is Princess Leia. All right, Kat, play A1. Let's see if it makes sense. She's headed for Dayu. He should not have come. 
They hid their signature behind a freight transport. The ship is on its way there now. I can't. She's my daughter, Obi-Wan. I told you. I'm not the man you remember. Well, you're going to have to be. I can't leave the boy. This isn't about the boy, and you know it. You've made mistakes. We all did. It's the past. Move on. Be done with it. You couldn't save Anakin. But you can save her. And what if I can't? There is no one I trust more with my child than you. Please, old friend, for her, one last fight. <laughs> yeah, it's always one last fight, right? You know, but it's never the last fight. We already know that. So um, let's get us going. Pedro, I guess it would be just criminal if we didn't go to you first. Um, and, and, you know, obviously, you know so much about this and and have a very deep relationship to all of this material. If you can sort of peel away all that and just kind of look at Obi-Wan Kenobi, we are three episodes in right now. How satisfying or unsatisfying are you finding that? I mean, I, I I really really have enjoyed it. Um, it's it's where where the arc goes. There's still three episodes left, and I think that the way that this has been structured, it's really going to be the whole kind of six uh, six episodes that'll kind of tell whether you know it's satisfying or not. I think right now they're in an interesting place, kind of midway in the story. Uh, but I'm I mean I've the interesting thing is a lot of these characters are. are our actors were people who were in the uh, the the prequels, which were fairly awful. And so it's kind of satisfying to see really great actors like Jimmy Smith's uh, and even, you know, the, the actors that play like Aunt Beru and we haven't seen her yet. And, and uh, you know, Uncle Owen and actually see them being directed and having decent scripts and, and directing uh, because the characters themselves you kind of see are actually actually really interesting characters that were just given terrible material in the prequels. So um, I love it. And I think the, the, the storyline uh, is, is great. I mean, it's crisis of faith uh, with Obi-Wan and let's see how he, how he regains it uh, in time for episode four. Peter, let me just ask you one more question, which is, I mean, clearly the alternative working title for the star Wars franchise was something like intergalactic child protective services because like it's, it seems like there's always like a baby Yoda or this time it's a little tiny uh, Leia or it's Luke or it's, you know, or I mean, you know, Obi-Wan's previous job, which he didn't do very well, <laughs> was protecting little Anakin Skywalker. Uh, so, I mean, it kind of, I, I don't know, are they beating that particular drum too hard? I mean, I think that had the Mandalorian not happened, um, you know, this does feel like you're going back to the well. But if you're going to tell the story in this time time frame, like you got to have the kids. Um, I think that young Princess Leia was something I didn't know I actually wanted um, because she's fantastic. And I think the way that they're approaching the character um, as kind of actually the wiser, smarter pair of the of the cop buddy duo there uh, is 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 really great so you know you can keep going back to the well if it works um as long as it's satisfying um and in this case i think it it 
it's it, it works really well. All right. Yeah. So Tracy Wu Fashionberg, I think we're all enjoying this uh, little kid, Vivian Lyra Blair is her name. She's playing Leia Organa, uh, as Pedro suggests. I mean, there's sort of a weird warping of character here that's, I think, forgivable maybe because it's entertaining. I mean, Obi-Wan Kenobi comes to us as sort of you know, I mean, over the course of the movies, he's kind of the Gandalf surrogate, you know, he's really just infinitely wise and capable uh, and somebody who sees deeply into the secrets of this particular universe. But here he is kind of this schlub who seems a little less with it on certain occasions, including one that you pointed out earlier today, than this little kid he's supposed to be protecting. I mean, everybody's allowed to have a bad day or a bad period, so perhaps we can give Obi-Wan this. You know, he's had kind of a tough go of it. Um, But I did, I loved their dynamic. I loved the way they portrayed her, um, you know, in in the particular scene you're referring to, and I don't think it's a spoiler, you know, they're, you know, trying to be part of, they're trying to be undercover, per se, and he's the one who kind of tips the hand and blows it, not her, after him, like, instructing her over and over on, like, what the story is. You know, she's the one who keeps it together. And um, I have an eight-year-old daughter. And so I look at this character and I'm like, yep, sounds about right. When you have a spunky girl child, this is what you have. You have some, you know, there's, she's sharp, she's smart, and she seems to drive some of the adults in her life just a little bananas. Right. Let's actually hear, we're going to, before we go to Jacques, let's go to here, cut uh, A2 here, Kat, because I think uh, this sort of points up exactly what Wu was talking about. Why aren't you using your lightsaber? Maybe it's because you're not really a Jedi. I heard they all died. I read that Jedi can make things float. Make me float. What? I want to float. No. Because you can't. Because if I use the Force, then it'll draw attention to us. Come on. You haven't even told me your name. Ben. It's not a Jedi name. Well, that's my name. You'll have to trust me eventually. How can I trust you when I know you're hiding something? You think the less you say, the less you give away. But really, it's the opposite. How old are you? Ten. You don't sound like you're ten. Thank you. So, Jacques... Um, you know, ever since its inception, Star Wars has occasionally been funny. I would argue maybe that the very first movie we saw was a little bit funnier than an awful lot of the movies that came along. And, and, and it started to take itself rather seriously in kind of a plodding way or to insist to us that someone like Jar Jar Binks was funny, which – I think is a pretty questionable point. But I found this thing really funny. I mean, it's not just this little kid who is funny and who has great material being written for her. But you have somebody like Kumail Nanjiani who is just funny anyway as this kind of poser, fraudulent Jedi. I mean, I just I was surprised to be laughing as much as I was. Yeah, I mean, and, and uh, to, to uh, cop to what Pedro said, um, you know, Little Princess Leia is is what you needed and didn't know you needed. Um, you know, I was I had no idea the series was going to go in that direction, and I was so delighted with with her appearance. I mean, Mandalorian has a lot of humor in it, you know, courtesy of the child uh, relationship, and and then when they brought in Amy Sedaris and let her be Amy Sedaris, you know, was was pretty pretty wild for me i'm like that 
because I think under George Lucas's um, tenure, that never would have happened. Um, and so I think I think it's funny. It's it's not as funny as some as, as I think it wants to be, but there is definite humor there that is enjoyable. You know, I'd like just to talk a little bit, and and here I'm probably going to engage in certain kinds of apostasy. But Pedro, you know, I think we all feel as though episodes one, two, and three, which actually dropped as four, five, and six, uh, followed by seven, eight, and nine. Not only is all that numerology kind of complicated, but some of the, for some of us anyway, some of the the shine of the early Star Wars kind of wore off a little bit. You know, the Jedi were turned into these kind of bureaucrats. Uh, and, and, you know, to me, a lot of these things that go off the trunk line, either, you know, ranging from the, ranging from the Sands of Iwo Jima type Rogue One to Solo to a lot of this stuff on Disney Plus, I feel like they actually get some of the magic of early Star Wars back to me uh, in a way that, that maybe I was feeling like I was losing it on the main, on the main line. No, I agree. Like, a hundred percent, and I am. I'm really excited to see the the next series, the Andor series, in in August. And I think I think one of the most important things with these is that, um, which is where I think actually Book of Boba Fett kind of straight a bit. Um, even well, even though these characters in, in Obi Wan are are established, I think where 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 some of this sort of magic and, and entertainment is happening is that you know new characters, new stories. Yes, we'll put Tatooine aside because we keep going back to it. Hopefully they'll stop doing that. But I think that like, you know, they're they're being allowed to spread their wings and kind of explore things and, and tell stories in different ways rather than feel boxed into this kind of like very, very programmatic canon of the story and the epic and the hero's journey. It has to be this and the Skywalker, you know, this. And so I think that you know, people with fresh takes with different ideas and perspectives are, are making this this interesting, I think. And um, also starting to play with some genre. Um, and I think they're really running with this with future things. Uh, but I think that like, you know, looking, saying, okay, we're going to do a Western, right? You know, this one is, is you know, crisis of faith and I've lost. So I, I think that, you know, making it feel like Star Wars, but telling telling it in a different way is is where these are getting a lot more entertaining. Yeah, and Tracy, I wonder about your kids, too, in the sense, and for that matter, I mean, anybody's kids, um, Mm -hmm. who might be experiencing Star Wars kind of Disney Plus as the main trunk line for them. You know, I think it's sort of quite possible that this starts to supersede the stuff that, you know, us old folks regard as kind of canonical. Right. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get a little bashed over the head here, but my kids have not seen any of the Star Wars anything as of yet. Um, Look, as long as they've not... seen as long as they've seen the first two Godfather movies, I'm fine. With, you know, <laughs> all the way through yeah. by themselves, and no, no parents, and the first no and the first three Die Hard movies, and then Star Wars can come later. <laughs> you know my parenting, no. Um, but we are not a huge Star Wars family here, um, and I think that's that's my role in this conversation. I've seen several of the movies Jacques had to sort of point me in the direction of how many I may or may not have seen. (laughs) Um, So, you know, so for me actually coming into this, having not seen all of the offshoots, but really sort of the main, um, main movies, it didn't seem confusing at all. It actually seemed to go fairly seamlessly together um, because there were all these other 
things that were, were not as part of my vision. Now I do think that, you know, my kids are aware that there is a baby Yoda because how could you not? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, those are going to be the things that they do grab onto more are kind of the cuter, um, more relatable to kids things there. And I'm sure that they will enjoy the original star Wars movies. Once they see them, there's just a lot more on the list before that. So Jacques, sorry, Pedro. I, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's totally okay. <laughs> no, actually, Pedro just did call intergalactic child protective services about this. Uh, and you will be getting a visit by, by two inquisitors. I think the fifth sister and the fourth brother uh, are coming. This is the kind of stuff you wind up knowing. <laughs> you know, Jacques, I made this point when we were emailing around here. And I, I, it seemed like something you might be interested in running with, too, which is kind of the idea that I mean, first of all, the Obi-Wan Kenobi character is kind of weird in the sense that he's living this kind of sleepy, impoverished, force-free existence uh, in in the desert in this crappy cave with this crummy Amazon warehouse job, uh, you know, and he's going to kind of wake up here uh, and do some stuff. Because he has to for Princess Leia. But we also know he's going to go back to sleep. And when the whole thing is over again, he's just like going to sit around for another 20 years <laughs> waiting for the, the next series of stories to get going. But, you know, there's this idea that he's this broken down old thing and Leia's always giving him kind of this Anna Delvey kind of crap about, you know, how he looks and, and how he dresses and that he's more like her grandfather than her plausible fake father. And I don't know. I look at you and McGregor. I don't really see that. I kind of see. I don't know. He's fifty. He looks okay. Yeah, I mean, there was um, uh, there was a an article that was passed around. It's like you know, he looks too movie starish. He doesn't look you know bedraggled the way she's saying he looks, and you know, it doesn't look like enough time has gone by. But enough time has gone by in terms of when did the prequels come out? They were in the nineties, right? Ninety nine, oh two, and oh five. Yeah, so I mean, he certainly has aged since since playing those those parts or playing that that part. I mean, I think the for me the the um, you know there was an article that was sent around about like we know certain outcomes. We know Darth Vader is not going to get him. We know he's not going to get Darth Vader because they need to have their big face-off during Star Wars. We know the kids, you know, we know what's going to happen with Luke. We know what's going to happen with Leia. So I think some of it is, and this is also the issue with Solo in terms mm-hmm. of whether or not you're willing to say, like, I know certain outcomes, but I guess the journey or the fun of it or fun of these characters being in these situations and seeing how it expands your knowledge of their backstories and, you know, fills in these holes. Um, that you didn't even necessarily care about before. Um, so I think, you know, uh, with this, the in some ways, the least interesting thing about the series is Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I, I, I think that's totally right. I think he is kind of a blank projection screen for a lot of other stuff. You know, there's just sort of a way in which, you know, I mean, a lot of the characters we've talked about and we haven't even talked yet about some of the villains in the next segment. We'll be talking especially about Moses Ingram in a different context. But she is Riva, the third sister. She's one of the people going after Princess Leia, but really going after Obi-Wan Kenobi as well. Um, you know, it's also kind of interesting, Pedro, like a lot of people, 
A lot of characters have already died. <laughs> I mean, they're minor characters, but yeah. like Flea, just Flea's not even alive anymore. They, I know. <laughs> they, they killed Flea. They killed some of the other villains here. But there is sort of a sense in which there's this color palette circling around Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he's this guy who's kind of kind of can get with it, kind of can't get with it. Uh, you know, he's certainly not the Obi-Wan Kenobi that we remember from other contexts. So, I mean, I think Jacques has a really good point, which is – He's the title character, but it feels like it's only partly about him. It's a little bit more a chance for us to see some stuff we've wanted to see for a while, including a lot of stuff with lightsabers, not always wielded by him. I, yeah, I think that. Yeah, well, I think when, when you're when your main character has this kind of fixed endpoint, you know, I think that they're doing some smart writing by creating the stuff that they can control that you don't know about who lives and who dies. Um, right. You, you know, that Obi-Wan Kenobi is, is going to make it through these, through these movies. Um, so what else is going to give you some sort of dramatic tension? Um, right. You know, the princess Leia is going to survive. So she gets kidnapped. Obviously she doesn't, you know, spend uh, the next seven years being kidnapped. So how, where is that going to go? Who's going to make it and who's not. So I think that, you know, that's just, a just some some just decent storytelling, but B, I think that there is a desire to want to create new characters and stories, you know, in, in this in this universe. Um, because you can a a kind of leave your mark in it, but tell something really satisfying that maybe hasn't been told before. Right. Yeah, and like being able to finally see Alderon. Yeah. You know, which all we saw of it before was it being ex- exploded. Yeah. Maybe There's one there shot was- in in the third movie, but it's like three seconds long so yeah. yeah and so i think um you know it that's that to me is the fun the fun of obi-wan kenobi mm-hmm. and i don't know if it is it definitely going to end after six episodes or is it you know they're, they're it, calling it a, a limited series so they're kind of maybe setting it that it'll be there never say never where there's money to be made i guess but right. um and they've already sort of got, you know, I think Boba Fett's going to keep going. I don't know if the Mandalorian keeps going separately. I can't keep track of all Mandalorian this. does. Yeah, okay. And then, as you say, we have this other one that's coming along that I think, among other things, revives Diego Luna, who was so terrific in Rogue One. There's, there's going to be no shortage of stuff. I think one thing that we should say, uh, uh, Tracy, is that we see... We, we hear, once again, the voice of James Earl Jones, uh, who's now in his 90s, uh, as, uh, as Darth Vader. And, and one thing that I kind of like about this is, you know, Darth Vader and the James Earl Jones, you know, voice part of him and everything it used to be really scary. And then it started, turn into, it started turning into like, you know, a little kid in his driveway making the car do stuff and not knowing that his parents were operating the, it from <laughs> Remote. I don't know if people remember that commercial, but there's a sort of a way in which he got turned into a Halloween costume. That's what I really mean. Uh, he got turned into a Halloween costume. I think he's pretty freaking scary here when he sh- when he shows up and he's like really Darth Vader. I mean, he's he's fresh out of the whatever bath that they've been putting him in, Darth Vader, and he's ready to rumble and he's ready to you know to to do lightsaber with people. I, I was sort of glad to have that thing come back somehow. Yeah, I, absolutely. And I think part of it is that they showed the process of his transformation. You see what is underneath that, I don't want to say get up, but get up, you know, all of the all of the black, the the helmet, all of that. You see what's underneath it, which lends itself to, oh, yeah, this guy's been through some stuff. There is a reason for, you know, 
his determination, I guess you can say. Um, so I think that that lends itself to the scariness of it because what's underneath is also not pleasant to look at. Um, and, and so all of that put together, if they, I think if they had just rolled him out as is maybe not as much, um, as far as that, like darkness. Um, but I think the way that they set it up and gave the backstory again, I liked the little recap at the beginning. Um, it really helped set that up. Yeah, the guys on the watch, which is one of the Ringer uh, series, he pointed out this is the maybe the first brand new TV series that begins with a recap. Uh, I mean, these things are almost contradictions in terms. I also want to say that everything that Pedro said about sort of the the calculus that we do mentally about, well, yeah, he's he, he lives through this, she lives through this. Everybody's doing the same thing right now with Better Call Saul because Better Call Saul is a precursor prequel to uh, to Breaking Bad. So anybody who's alive in Breaking Bad is going to make through Better Call Saul, which actually gins up a lot of anxiety about characters that we haven't seen in Breaking Bad. And that's some of the weirdness of prequels. Uh, I think we live in that universe a little bit more right now. We've got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a less pleasant aspect of all this. There's no other way to put it. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Hartford HealthCare recently celebrated the opening of the Ridge Recovery Center in Wyndham. Christy Scott, Vice President of Clinical Operations, describes this new state-of-the-art destination for healing. Individuals will come if they're suffering from substance use disorder and get individualized treatment. They can stay up to three to four weeks and receive family therapy, individual therapy, group therapy, and lots of other holistic care like yoga, trail walking, acupuncture. So it's going to be a great place for people to come and heal. For those seeking recovery, finding it close to home can sometimes be challenging. Many individuals travel to Florida and other states that have more treatment centers, so we're hoping by doubling our capacity at Hartford HealthCare, the individuals can stay in their home state with their family and support systems close by. To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash health. In the U.S., we tend to think of slavery as a Southern thing. Slavery in New England has been intentionally erased. The story we tell is this is family slavery. So it comes off as very benign and not dehumanizing. Coming March 18th, a special series, Unforgotten, Connecticut's Hidden History of Slavery. Visit ctpublic.org unforgotten. Funding provided by the Wadsworth Athenaeum Museum of Art and the Amistad Center for Art and Culture. And welcome back to the nose. Uh, we've been talking in a very positive way about the, you know, I'm fair, fairly significant amount of fun that has been afforded to us by this uh, Obi Wan Kenobi series on Disney Plus. But uh, as they say, there's a dark side to the force. There's a dark side to this. So with us today, Jacques Lamar, Pedro Soto, Tracy Wu, Fastenberg. We're going to talk about uh, something that was brought to light 
although it's been around for a really long time, but recently brought to light by Eric Deggins, uh, who writes about television and culture for NPR and speaks about it too and has been on the show before. Uh, the headline of his piece, Racist Star Wars Fans Aren't New, Why Doesn't Disney Do More to Protect Its Actors? He's focusing particularly on one of the actors who appears in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. It's Moses Ingram. You may remember her from um, from Queen's Gambit. Uh, she, in this case, plays um, so far a flat-out villain, although I'm not 100% sure that her backstory is going to sort of tell us more and more that might help us understand at least how she got to be who she is. Uh, she's known as Reva, otherwise the third sister. And like a lot of other Star Wars actors of color in the past, she's just taking a lot of heat from trolls on social media. Those trolls are a certain kind of Star Wars fan that seems to regard the series uh, nostalgically uh, as being maybe a, sort of differently populated. I mean, in a lot of ways, that ship has sailed uh, a long time ago. But apparently, John Boyega, we know, in fact, I think we had this conversation on a previous notes that Kelly Marie Tran, who played Rose Tico in some of the Star Wars movies, uh, was really kind of trashed and oppressed uh, by fans who just didn't want her there. Um, and I don't know. I mean, Pedro, this is something, you know, you're such a big Star Wars fan. You're also uh, an incredibly tolerant and, and inclusive person. So this must be a sort of source of pain for you that some of your fellow Star Wars fans don't share your values. Is there more you want to say about that, though? I mean, there is this line of fandom, which is really uh, similar to religious fundamentalism um, in terms of, the, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of these like guardians of, of, of what they think is good or, you know, it was our thing and now it's not our thing anymore. Um, we have to fight to protect it and it's terrible and awful. And it's just, it is sad to see because um, obviously so many of these series are, are literally about fighting totalitarianism and totalitarian thought and, you know, trying to kind of be, be your true self. Right. And so it's uh you know, it's depressing to see. I mean, it's a bigger issue at large um, with the, the platforms that now allow uh, the racists to be able to to kind of, you know, literally, you know, 30 years ago, you could not uh, slide into the DMs of, of someone in a show that you liked. You know, you'd write them an angry letter that they may or may not see. But like, you know, there is this ability to kind of press these nuclear buttons, um, which is pretty awful. Yeah. And so, you know, Tracy, one of the things that Eric argued for is that the studios, the big companies behind all this entertainment, they've got to do more. They've got to somehow or other try to put the pin back into the grenade here. I, I'm, I think that's, first of all, a very admirable thing and something that they ought to try to do. Although I kind of wonder how you do that in a way that really makes a difference. I don't know. What were your thoughts? I do think it's incumbent upon the studios to be part of the process of, you know, sort of diffusing I, uh, uh, these situations or stopping them before they begin, because in a way, the studios and the franchises are the ones who set them up that way. They did the original casting. They continued that. Um, you know, John Boyega talked about how, you know, he was touted as, you know, a character of color, but then the actual character was sort of minimized later on, which to me, that's sort of virtue sig signaling by the studio of like, hey, look, the great things we're doing and then maybe not following through the whole way. And so in that, I think that they do need to really take a look and step back 
and see what they can do proactively. Warning a star on the side, like, hey, you might get this stuff in your DMs or you might get some heat, you know, sorry about that, just be prepared, isn't gonna cover it. You know, I think really being inclusive and genuine in their efforts um, to give stars of color um, and characters of color their due storylines, their due press, um, you know, and those types of things. He had some great suggestions in there as well as having, um, you know, different media, social media um, campaigns and conversations and things. And I think it's really incumbent on them to figure it out. Um, and they know their fan base the best. They're the ones who are hearing from them. Um, and maybe even employing some super fans that are not of that bent to to be a part of the conversation as well. Right. And, you know, I mean... I'm volunteering Pedro. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and to Pedro's point, it's especially weird because this series also draws... I mean, you know, all of these kind of mythological or fantasy or sci-fi based series, they're all, all very dependent on older sources. And really from the jump, there was an understanding that Star, War, Star Wars was borrowing very heavily on Asian sources, both for its aesthetic and for some of its characters, even the idea of, of Jedis. Uh, so the idea that this is some kind of, you know, white supremacist series, I mean, it really doesn't make any sense. It, it, it is a series that relies heavily on other stuff. Before we go to Jacques... Uh, I, I'm in the habit of playing a clip right before we go to Jacques. So uh, I, I do want to just let people hear anyway, Moses Ingram as Inquisitor Riva. You'll also hear Joel Edgerton as uh, Owen Lars. You know Owen Lars as Uncle Owen. That's who's looking after Luke in the very first Star Wars movie we ever saw. What's your name? Owen. Owen. Farmer, right? Wife? Kids? My family's of no concern to you. They might be. You got a Jedi on that farm, too? No. Why should I believe you? I have no love for the Jedi. Jedi vermin. I kill vermin on my farm. You protect your family. I like that, man. It's important. You think you could protect them from me? Tell me where the Jedi is, or this man and his family die! So, you know, I mean, Jacques, I, I didn't know about all the stuff that was going on with Moses Ingram when I was first started watching the series. Uh, she's re being taunted on social media from trolls using insults in the N-word uh, to attack her. I do remember watching it early on and thinking, well, she's obviously the most villainous villain right now. Uh, I mean, they may sort of explain, as I said, how she got to be who she is. But right now, she's the scariest one. She's the most likely to derail the uh, activities uh, and goals of the heroic people. And I thought, you know, that might be asking for trouble, uh, introducing a very prominent black character that way, and then having her be kind of the person, at least initially, you kind of hate. Um, you know, uh, my my feeling about, I was, you know, it, I think it's exciting that they're, they're broadening their inclusivity, you know, uh, in casting and whatnot. I think it could still go further. Um, However, I'm not really sold on her performance. I I feel like it's it's not menacing and scary enough. The <laughs> words are there, the costumes there, but I don't feel that the 
the weight of that energy. And, you know, I think um, in terms of casting uh, a black actor in the role of a heavy, they haven't done that before, as best I can remember. Pedro may, may remember. So I think, you know, that's another barrier broken in a certain sense. Um, I just feel like if, and, and, and Tracy and Pedro, I'm sure have, have uh, varying opinions. I kind of feel like if the performance was more amazing, it, you know, racists are still going to be racist, but I think that it would be, we'd be talking about her performance more. Yeah. But I think the, you know, then if she were white and had a bad performance, right, she wouldn't be subject to all of this stuff. And I think that that's, that's really kind of where the, where the issue think, lies, I right? I think they would still find a way to talk trash about her, but the way they would be talking trash about her would be different. Oh, yeah. Which, right Which, there outlines the problem. The problem, exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But my, um, and I'm not saying like, well, it's not, you know, she's getting abused not because she's black, but because she's not giving a great performance. But I kind of feel like if that performance was transformative in some way, she the the discussion may be a little bit different. Yeah, but it's again like the mediocre white man just has to show up and the black woman has to be transformative, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, better no, better no. than good. I think Obi-Wan Kenobi has showed up, but he's not interesting in his own right. show. Yeah. And so I I mean maybe my, you know, how I'm interpreting it would be different than the white masses, but I kind of feel like um you know, uh, I mean, right now it's very clear that all of us really like Princess Leia. Mm. And it, I think it's because of the charm of her performance and the quality of the writing and whatnot. Um, if she was terrible, like Hayden Christensen in the <laughs> original trilogy, or, you know, I don't know how you take Natalie Portman and make her a bad actor, but he did. You know, th that, those were things that we discussed when those those things came out. Right. But we focused on the performance. We didn't, other things weren't brought into the conversation, probably even by the, you know, the worst detractors. Yeah. You know, people are going for something that cannot be controlled. Somebody's performance, you can improve that. You can, you know, choose not to perform anymore. But these are racists who are going after something that cannot be changed. Kelly Marie Tran cannot not be Asian. Moses yeah. Ingram cannot not be Black. And so, you know, that's where the deep rooted problem lies is that they think it's okay to do this. Yes. Good performance, mediocre performance or bad performance. Right. And I, yeah, I agree. Her character is not the one that I'm most excited about or interesting. I think her, her delivery is a little bit off. Again, we'll see where the story lies and kind of how she ends up and what we think of her at the end of the story. I know, you know, with episodic, with these TV arcs nowadays, Sometimes it's like you got to see the whole thing to see to kind of go back and reevaluate the performance. Yeah. That's what um, I think. I think she's leaving room right now. I mean, I, I don't think it would be hard for her. She seems like a good actor. I don't think it would be that hard for her to play this in, in a scarier and more heavy way. Um, but I think she might be leaving a little bit of room. They've already teased this idea. She's, she says something about essentially that she's from the wrong side of the tracks and has kind of had to make her way. That she's had to, in a way that mirrors a point that just got made here, she's kind of had to be better than everybody else just to have an even chance 
dance with everybody else. And I'm kind of wondering, I, I feel like they might be selling the idea that she's going to do more with this. One thing, we're going to run it, we're going to not have enough time to talk about Sweden, but that might be okay. But, um, but, but Tracy, you know, I don't know. We've lived through so much lately that tells us to take all this kind of stuff seriously, whether it's Charlottesville or, you know, you and I have talked about some of the ways in which people use the pandemic as a as a vehicle for, you know, really kind of, you know, abusive treatment of, of Asian Americans, including you. Um, and so I don't want to minimize it at all because it's clearly there. It's real. It's, you know, but I also sort of wonder whether whether letting a bunch of maladjusted soreheads, you know, I don't know how many they are in number. They appear on social media, which is like the worst place in the world anyway. Um, I'm just wondering whether it even makes sense to talk a lot about them uh, and about what needs to be done about them and whether we need to have like, you know, the eight most important surviving Star Wars actors make some kind of group video telling them to cut it out um, or whether maybe it just, you know, just it's almost breakage. You just have to live with these idiots uh, if you're doing something really popular. But I'd, I'd be interested to know your thoughts. So I think there is a misconception that it's just a small subset that, you know, sort of voice these opinions. Um, first of all, about the character, I read it as ambition, not just ruthlessness. And that's why maybe she's not as scary as um, we want her to be, is that there's more to it. It's, it's fueled by ambition. Um, but I think that when we talk about these folks who are lobbying these grenades, essentially, um, it's not just the small group of people. I mean, think about how many people back in Hunger Games when when Rue was cast as a little black girl, were like, I didn't read her that way. This is terrible. You know, and it's sort of those things don't need to be said, you know, but people have those thoughts. Those are the thoughts that cross people's minds. And it's not just the worst of the worst. It's more people than we think. So I think there there is the group that you're never going to convince. But I do think there is that group, maybe a couple steps above that, that do need sort of the coaching from the franchise, the actors, the the company's fellow fans. And that can be sort of, I don't know, come to the light, seem to come to the light. But um, I think that it it's worth the work with the understanding you're not going to convince everybody. Yeah. And I, you go ahead, Pedro. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, you know, you, you do the work, but the most important thing, especially with, with, discussions about representation and, and, and all of this. And, and these two things are kind of in conversation because it's the kind of backlash against it is that it's just, I think the studios need to just run with this, go, don't change direction, lead from the front. This is what we're doing. Sell it, love it, normalize it. So that it's not like a thing, like look at this special thing we're doing, like we deserve a carrot because we're not, you know, people, of, of, you know, of minorities and people of color are not, we're not looking for the special. We're just looking to be represented like, and, and just, be there and, and yeah, and, and just have it, have it be there in, in, in equal to everything else and not something either above below or whatever, just like, you know, this is it. So I think the more that they do that over time, the, the better and the more this gets. And, and then also just as call a spade a spade, racism is wrong. This is bad. Your, your beliefs are wrong. You know, none of this like um, BS of sort of both sides-isms, right? And, 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 and Star Wars is not both sides the empire, 
right? And you can tell stories of gray or this or that, but just say, look, there's a right and there's a wrong in this. And we're choosing the right, the right way. You want to be in the wrong way, go ahead. But you're wrong. I mean, I, I want to say, I think they've done a really good job in recent times too, of really, you know, developing these characters, making them real. I sort of thought going back a ways that, you know, this, there sort of was a time where it seemed like, oh, let's give Samuel Jackson a role and give him something to do. And then they give him a stupid name that sounds like a glass cleaner, uh, you know, <laughs> and it's like, doesn't leave any streaks, Mace Windu. And I use Qui-Gon on my tub and tile. Um, but, you know, now with some of the characters in Rogue One, some of the characters, uh, I mean, I think they kind of lost their nerve a little bit with Kelly Marie Tran, uh, gave her one really good role in one movie, and then she got like 60 seconds in the next movie. But, but you know, there's a way in which as they develop some of these really good characters in the Disney Plus stuff, you know, it doesn't, it, it's representation, but it doesn't feel forced anymore. These are fully fleshed out, really good characters. And, and I think that... That'll help a lot. I mean, that's kind of what, what you've all been saying, too. We've got to take a break here. Sorry we didn't get to Sweden. We've got to make some recommendations on the other side. We were going to take all of you to Sweden. We had a plane right outside. It was a transport. You had to stop in Dayu first, and then it would land in Sweden. Time to say some thank yous, starting with Cat Pastor, our technical producer today and every day. Uh, Jonathan McPants is also uh, eternally the producer uh, of The Nose. He is a Nose Jedi. Uh, and now it is time to make some recommendations. Jacques Lamar, why don't you get us going here? Uh, I'm going to uh, recommend something that's also a little bit of a plug. But this Sunday at 2 o'clock at Parkville Market, there is the three-way throwdown, which is um, uh, Nightfall, Heartbeat Ensemble and CT Improv uh, facing off in a collaborative uh, improv comedy uh, fundraiser. And I will be emceeing. And if you, this is the endorsement. If you've never been to Parkville Market, it's amazing. And I'm so thrilled that it's doing well. It's in Hartford. So Parkville Market on Sunday. Uh, bring your friends, bring your family, and most of all, bring money. Are you are you emceeing or refing? I mean, like, is this throwdown I, thing? I'm emceeing. There are judges. There are judges. Okay, no yeah, lightsabers. I'll Don't be emceeing with with Keila Miles, who's terrific, and so it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, no lightsabers. Um, all right, uh, Pedro Soto, how about you? Make us uh, a recommendation. Okay, three quick recommendations. Uh, number one, uh, Middletown Pride is this weekend. Uh, so go <laughs> it's a great it should be a great time um and then um on the geek side the um season three of the sci-fi show for all mankind is coming out yeah in it it's great so catch up on the first two seasons uh they're hour long um get through the first three episodes and uh you'll you'll be hooked um and then talking about representation and normalizing things I cannot recommend high, more highly enough um, the HBO Max show, Our Flag Means Death. Um, <laughs> you want to talk about a show which is hilarious, heartwarming, touching, the pirate story, love story you didn't know you wanted, and is literally probably one of the best shows about normalizing all sorts of representation <laughs> and just making it an integral and beautiful part of the story. 
please just watch our flag me stuff. Right. If I had to live in anybody's extended universe, I think I'd like right now to want to live in Taika Waititi's yes, extended please. universe. I just sort of, <laughs> I like that place, you know, and all the things that that sort of bloom up in, in it. Tracy Wu yeah. Fastenberg, how about you? So first, I'm going to endorse um, the Hartford Symphony has a free community concert tomorrow at 2 p.m. in Bushnell Park. Um, we're hoping to bring our kids because clearly you do not want a three and eight year old, at least not my three and eight year old, in an actual concert hall yet. Um, but a great way for the family to have some time outside and enjoy some wonderful music. Um, also, you know, as we talk about sort of more inclusivity and representation, one of the byproducts of that sometimes is the wonderful thing of appropriation. So as we launch into um, Pride Month and Juneteenth um, and people do want to show their allyship and support, be sure that you're supporting organizations and businesses that are owned by Black folks, owned by LGBTQIA plus folks, um, because there are a lot of big companies out there that are pu putting out the um, swag but not really using that to support the actual causes and the inclusion. Well, that's a very, very, very important point. Thank you for saying that. So I'm going to, first of all, begin by recommending something that I'm a little bit uncomfortable recommending, uh, although I think it's terrific. It's a podcast called Hunting Warhead, and, and I'm almost uncomfortable describing it, but it is about an international hunt for and break up of uh, a child uh, abuse, uh, which is to say child pornography uh, operation. Uh, but it really gets into the guts of it. Uh, this is a CBC joint venture with some other people. Uh, but they, they just, they, they talk to people and they talk to people about things I've never heard talked about before. Uh, and it's uncomfortable, but it's also riveting. Uh, there are some great quote unquote characters who emerge. These are actually the real people, but uh, the cousin uh, of the worst uh, of the the sort of pornography traffickers. Uh, she, she just turns out to be this kind of amazing, quote-unquote, character. She's just an amazing woman who's just unbelievably good at talking about all this, too, and kind of uh, becoming a placeholder for us. It's called Hunting Warhead. It is riveting. Sometimes I felt a little bit uncomfortable with how riveting it was, how eager I was to get back to it, considering what it's about. But uh, it, it's really worth it. And, and you will hear stuff and learn stuff that you just haven't heard or learned before, you won't always be happy about that. Uh, and I guess the last thing that I would say, sort of build on Tracy's point, uh, is this wonderful season is starting, and it's a, lots of other stuff as well. There are going to be a lot of outdoor concerts. It's a great thing to do, particularly if you're nervous about COVID, to go to Monday Night Jazz or the Elizabeth Park or, or the Connecticut Historical Society or on and on and on. Do those things, support those things, maybe financially support those things. Enjoy the strawberries. They're out. The asparagus is almost most gone here in Connecticut. But um, it's going to be a wonderful summer, and we've been cooped up for a long time. Uh, outdoors is safe. Do those outdoor things. Uh, thanks very much for listening today to The Nose, and thanks to our wonderful panelists, Jacques, Pedro, and Tracy. And we'll be back on Monday. <laughs> <laughs>